Hi, I'm Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID, an oral history project. I started this project during Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I also wanted to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who's a Black American who sadly lost their life to COVID-19. I was inspired by Zora Neale Hurston, the anthropologist and author, to record the experiences of Black Americans in their own voices. My goal is to get my recordings into museums such as the Smithsonian Museum of African-American history and culture. I'll share a little bit about me and my family before I introduce my guest today. I'm a Black American. My dad was African-American and Indigenous American. My mother is Jamaican-American. I'm a fourth-generation teacher. My mom is a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica for 20 years and then in New York City for 20 years. And my great-grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica in the late 1800s up until she got married. She was the daughter of an Irish woman and a black man. And she stopped working after she got married because it wasn't considered respectable for a woman to work after she got married back then. Ironically, my mom began working long after she got married in the late 1900s, either the 1980s or 1990s. So without further ado, I'm excited to speak with my guest. Uh, my name is Olivia Michelle Merchant. I live in Florence, Italy. Um, I was born in New Orleans and raised in Kentucky, Ohio, I finished my last two years of high school in Austin, Texas. And then I lived in California in the Bay Area for 14 years. And then I lived in uh, Miami for two years and then New York for about 15 years. And now I'm in Italy. Oh, I uh, love that. All over the place, yeah, my mother my mother's father was an American Methodist Episcopal minister that built churches. And so my mom went to a different school every year of her life, actually. Like every school year, she went to a different school because my grandfather would arrive in a new place, build a church, and then move on to the next place. So um, I moved around a bit, even as a child, because my mom was 19 when she had me. And we would go kind of where my grandparents were for support. So that, that's sort of why I lived in a bunch of different places. That's amazing. So you lived down South, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest. I um, love that. Yeah. Um, I identify as Black. I tend to prefer that term um, over African-American, I think just because I got used to being called Black and then African-American came along and it's like, you know, I don't want to change it. <laughs> you know what I mean, I just got a Gmail address. You know, kind of the same thing. It's like, well, you know, Yahoo works fine, and it might not be what everyone has, but like, why am I going to just go off and get a Gmail because everyone has a Gmail? <laughs> um, so I definitely identify as black. Um, in terms of my ancestry, what I know is that we um, have some Cherokee in us, um, and that's pretty much all I know about. Um, my ancestry. Um, I do have a lot of family members that are doing, you know, different ancestry.com and that sort of thing to kind of get to more of the detail, but I haven't done that yet. So, um, yeah. Thank you. Black American. Thank you. And I'm so excited to hear about your years in 2020, 2021, living, working, moving, <laughs> and what it was like for school for your boys. So what was it like? Um, well, it was, it was really like a beat down originally. Like, I can't lie. Um, my 
sons and I were living on the Upper East Side of Manhattan in New York um, when they closed the schools, which was in March of 2020. Um, my the school that they were in, which was PS 198, um, they were going to have kids still attend school, but they were going to be masked the entire day and have some really stringent rules in terms of, um, you know, like going to the bathroom at certain times and being masked outside. And, you know, and I, and I didn't really feel that that was a, a healthy sort of way to be. Um, you know, not being able to get up from your desk, not interact with other kids. And so I just decided that I would just keep them at home. At least that way we could go to Central Park every day and I could make sure they got fresh air. And uh, we were living in a, a one bedroom that made a two bedroom at the time. And because I had been raising my kids very low tech, um, they were not familiar with being on computers. And it was really difficult for them because all of a sudden they have classes and, you know, they've got to be able to navigate a, a, a computer or an iPad. And it was really, really, really hard. And we were in a small space. And in the U.S. public school system, they automatically split twins up. And so my kids were already in two different classes, which is fine when you take them to school and you drop them off and they go to class. But when you're sort of like doing this homeschooling thing, uh, it's very difficult as one parent to be uh, helping both of them. I mean, you have two different classes, two different schedules, um, two different computers going at one time. It was bananas. And I, and I basically managed it by putting one of my kids on an iPod and I would have that ear, the opposite ear, and then I would have the other ear listening for the other child and I would stand in the middle of the, in the doorway between the two rooms. And I would help them navigate as we went along. And, you know, and I started off like completely organized. Like I got a whiteboard. Um, I, you know, I was like, I was like, every day I'm gonna print the schedule. And, you know, we're gonna like, I have two different schedules I have to print. I'm gonna make sure everyone has everything set up. I have photos I can send you. And then it, it just kind of quickly went off the rails. Like one of my children had tested for the G&T program, um, which stands for Gifted and Talented. And because a lot of parents left New York, he went from being number 13 on the waiting list, which it would have never have gotten him into the school to getting into the school. So I even had a period where I had them in two different classes and two different schools. <laughs> One was in PS 198, one was in PS 11. And it was just bananas, it was crazy. And then also I was sort of a, a hub or support to a couple of different families that lived in the neighborhood. Um, this African family who their parents, and we, we, knew, we knew each other, you know, when school was regular and their daughter had been in my kid's class and the mom was pregnant with their third child. And, you know, and they didn't have a printer. And so like I would print out packets and, you know, every day I'd meet with her and tell her, this is what she needs to do today. And, you know, and then we had a new family at the school that the mother had passed away and the father had kids, two sets of twins. And so I was also supporting him with printing and, you know, it was just, it was bananas. I mean, I was often in tears. One of my kids who was really struggling with the computer was in tears. Like I have a lot of photos of him just crying and just sitting there just being so frustrated because he couldn't navigate things. And um, that went on from, you know, March of 2020 until October of 2020, which is when I decided to move to Italy. And in Italy, it got a lot better for us in the sense that I still kept them in school and we could be in Italy. And school was in the afternoon because of the time difference. So at least I didn't have to wake up in the morning to, you know, all this tech stuff, right? The downside of it was that we would have sort of two days. So I'd get up in the morning and, you know, they get up and they play and they'd go outside and then they'd have lunch and or they'd have breakfast. And then, 
we'd do something else. And in the afternoon, they would start all over again, sort of in tandem with their US students <laughs> whose class they were in. Um, the good thing about being in Italy was that we also had a lot more space. So one could be in one room, one could be in the other, they weren't on top of each other. Um, we went to this beautiful, beautiful um, apartment that was on four acres of land that had deer and a bamboo forest and chickens and completely magical. Mm. So my kids could get up in the morning and go outside and I didn't even have to bat an eye. You know, I could, they could just get up and go out because there was nowhere for them to go off the property. And that was uh, amazing. Um, and then I had one week where I tested them being in school in Italy. Um, and that week they just missed a couple of days of their school in New York because I was really very clear that we were going to be ultimately end up living in Italy. So I wanted to test out the Steiner school here, which was a lot more affordable than it is in the United States. Like I couldn't afford to pay for them to go to the Steiner school um, in New York. Yeah. Can we mention that? Because I know, like, I went to a private school and it was, I think it's now 75000 a year. How much is the Steiner School? Uh, in New York, on the Upper East Side, it was about 52000 per child. Right. And how old are your boys? Well, um, they were seven going on eight. Right. Now nine. Yeah. And here, I pay 10000 for both of them. For total. both of them? For private school? Yeah. For private school wow. and they have you know 13 kids in the class and you know lots of male teachers which I really love um it's a great school there are 75 families in this school they go to now 30 countries are represented mm -hmm. so it's quite inclusive and very diverse in mm -hmm. terms of the student body um and the after school care is so cheap I mean it's I mean I should say inexpensive but it's like it's it's like well this is cheap like it was like 400 and I want to say I paid like 900 dollars for the whole year <gasps> wait 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 yeah. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like for two weeks or even a month like the whole and, year because yeah. in New York how much is it 900 would that even get you a month no, 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 not for two, not for two kids. No. And, and there it's just, I mean, here it's so, it's really affordable. Even camp too. camp in the summers here is like 120 a week. A week. It's so inexpensive. And then of course they give you discounts and, you know, I mean, essentially, I mean, and this has just been my experience in the two places I've lived in the United States and even in my traveling, you know, we were in Dubai in December and there's so much that is free for kids and for families that it almost feels to me like you're penalized in the United States if you have children, <laughs> it's like, you know, versus other places, it's like kids are free, you know, like, it's, you, you know, you're not paying an arm and a leg, you know, and I have friends I have a friend who spends like 15,000 a summer for her kids to go to a sleepaway camp. And like, you know, I mean, it's, this is elitist, it's not manageable. Um, it makes it really impossible yeah. for people to get ahead. Yeah. You know, it, it's, a, it's very, I would say just a very sort of plantation uh, mentality. Like you're not gonna get ahead, if, yeah. you know, at, at those expenses and then you know, and then also too here is so nice. You know, parents don't start work right after they don't start work at nine. You know, so you have the morning and you you drop your kids off at school and you know it's it's leisurely and then maybe you start work at nine thirty or ten, right? And so then there's not this like rushing all the time and you know it's just it's just culturally it's 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 vastly different and it's one of the reasons of many that I chose to live in Italy. The food quality, um, the housing. I mean, I am living now in a two bedroom, two and a half bath with a studio, which is like an office for 2,200 euros. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm moving and I'm moving 
um, this Saturday, I found this amazing apartment last July and it's 2,600 euros. And it's a four bedroom, three bath with two living rooms on the park with the fireplace and frescoes. And I'll send you a video. I mean, it's just, you know, yes. I mean, in, yeah, in New York, this apartment would be $15,000. At least a month, at least. A month. Yeah. And it's, it's literally on the park. Like there's trees sitting right outside. It's, it's incredible, you know? So, you know, and it's, you know, yeah, that there's a lot to say about just uh, the differences in culture, you know, in, in a capitalistic culture versus in a sort of, I would say a, a family culture, not even socialist, even though right. you know, healthcare is really affordable, but, but families is at the root of Italian culture. Wow. Yeah. So are, are your boys fully in an Italian school now? It is Italian school. Yeah, I put them in an Italian school because I really wanted them to learn Italian and to be part of the culture that was an impetus for me for being here. You know, and, and there are a lot of people who want to have their kids have a sort of like maybe a softer landing. So they put them in an American school or mm -hmm. an international school. Um, in an international school, I don't think there, there are any American schools. But for me, um, I'm interested in them becoming part of the culture. And they're also at an age where they pick up language very easily. So it's an optimal time to get them around the Italian language mm -hmm. versus waiting until they're 12 or 13. And then, you know, now they'll, I mean, literally like they'll, they'll pick it up. When we lived in the Netherlands, when they were four going on five, and, you know, within four months, they were speaking Dutch. Wow. You know, and Dutch is not an easy language yeah. to learn. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> the sounds it can take forever. You know, Italy is, is Italian is a lot easier, but still. Yeah. Wow. This is, I love hearing this. So I'm just trying to keep up with all the countries that you've traveled to. So now it's 2022. Do you feel like the pandemic has ended at least in Italy or, or how, what's it like? Are people wearing masks there and what's it yeah, like? Yeah, people still wear masks. I mean, right now we're having, I think a, like a lot of places are having this warm weather. Uh, and so the streets here are packed with people. Mm -hmm. um, wearing masks is definitely not required in the street, but when you go into shops and everything, they want you to wear masks. Um, and, you know, and, and I do find that some places are kind of letting up on it a little bit. Um, we have to show vaccination cards or with green passes is the, U is the uh, European equivalent of that. Um, and when I first moved here in October of 2020, it, it was a lot more stringent for sure. Like you had to have a mask on, on the bus and you know, you had to fill out a form if you were going to go within a certain radius outside of where you lived um, so that if you stopped, people would know. Um, but in general, I have to say that I find that a lot of the parameters were deterrence mm. people and not necessarily hard, fast rules. Um, you know, it, it was necessary, I think, for governments in societies to sort of squash movement. Like that was their way of like, oh, we're gonna keep everybody away from each other. And so then we'll impose all these really strict things. You know, you have to have a piece of paper, you have to have tests, you have to have masks, you have to have this and that. Right. Um, but then I would say, but then when you're actually in the, in actively doing something, it wasn't necessarily that way. Um, okay. So like traveling, for example, I thought before I came to Italy in October of 2020 that it was just going to be impossible. I thought they're going to turn us back. You know, like we're not going to, they're not let us in. And I called the border, um, customs border in Italy, like Milan and Florence multiple times. Like they, so much that they, they knew my voice. <laughs> just check, like, is there anything else I need? You know, because I was so in a state of fear and concern. And then I got here and it was, it wasn't that at all. It was, it was, it was really nothing. And the flights, the flight was empty. 
and you know the airports were empty and it actually felt like a, a very safe time to mm. travel um, it didn't feel so good from a carbon footprint <laughs> perspective because it's like oh there's this huge plane and there's 30 people on it um, but everybody was very nice, you know, like the stewardess and everything were really nice. You had all this room, you could lay out. There were so many differences in terms of the airlines, like KLM didn't require masks for kids under 14, but then other airlines did, you know, and it was like it is now when you travel, you know, it's like some places they want to see your toiletries and have you take your shoes off. Some places they don't mention it. Some place, you know, some places take the computer out. Some places they don't mention it. So it, it was the same, you know, and and once I got over here and then we came back to Texas for uh, Christmas and I'm a big traveler, like huge traveler. And so I, at a certain point, got very clear with myself that I wasn't going to allow fear to sort of override this passion that I have and that I needed to keep doing it. Like, you know, come hell or high water, I needed to keep traveling and not let myself just be, um, let's say manipulated, but just be overrun with like the fear and the stories and the, you know, and, and, and all of the, you know, the negative news, yeah. you know? And so I, you know, I started traveling. I had a, a sister that was in Colombia, oh. and I went to see her in March and- oh, which year? Uh, March of 2021. Okay. Um, I went to Miami in February of 2021. Um, and then, and then I, I, you know, then I was like, okay, <laughs> this is not at all that big a deal. It's tedious, right? right? I mean, getting tests is tedious. Filling out forms is tedious, but it's not this big thing. Like you have to be so afraid of, of it. And and there's a lot of things that you can read about that aren't actually happening, mm -hmm. right? Like curfews or, you know, places you go, places that, oh, this curfew. Or I remember a really good example was when I went to Columbia the second time, because I went to Columbia in March and I went again in June. Okay. And there was a lot of news about like, oh, you know, the, the hospitals are, you know, like overrun, you know, and, the, and it's this and it's that. And then we got to Colombia, to Cartagena, and we went on a tour. We had really nice tour guides. And we were talking to them about, like, you know, what's the situation? And, and how many hospitals do you have? And then come to find out, they only have one public hospital. Hmm. And so then if you compare this to the news, the saying, like, oh, the hospital's overrun. It's like, yeah, it's overrun. It's just like if you, you know, like right now, if you go someplace and they only have two gas stations and gas stations are the gas is like $10 a gallon. Right. And they report like, Oh, you know, the gas is like $10 a gallon. And it's like, yeah, but there's only two gas stations. That's why like they're, they're capitalizing on the fact that they're the only people with the gas. Exactly. It's not necessarily the same all over the place. Right. So it was, I thought, you know, it was a really great time to travel in the sense that, you know, a lot of the tourism was open in places that were open and there were no lines, things were affordable. Um, Airbnbs were super inexpensive. Um, flights were, you know, you could change your flight, get a refund like <laughs> at the drop of a dime. It was nothing, you know, you, the planes are empty, the airports are empty, no lines. It was a great time. So we, we've continued to travel and I've been to, since the pandemic started, Florida twice, Colombia twice, Dubai, Croatia, Rome. When, okay, when can you, when did you go to Dubai? I went to Dubai in December, just okay. this past December of 2021. And then Croatia, when was that? Croatia was in the summer of 2021, so July. End of July, I was in Rome and Croatia. And it was from Rome, tickets to Croatia, and that's an hour and a half flight, were nine euros a piece to fly <laughs> to Croatia. It's like, what? 10 euros, I mean, literally less than $40, one way for me and my twin boys to fly from Italy to Croatia. 
And then everything in Croatia was really inexpensive. The food was inexpensive. The, you know, like doing activities, like, you know, going jet skiing and snorkeling was like so inexpensive. It was like, whoa, we just do everything while we're here because it's nothing. Okay, so you said roaming Croatia in July 2021 and where else? Yeah, um, where else did I go? Dubai already. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I went to Spain. Oh, in, where? in January. Yeah, I went to Spain. I was gonna go to Morocco in twenty January of twenty twenty two, but they closed it. So I went to um, Barcelona. Oh. Yeah, I went to Malaga and I went to Sevilla. Uh, okay, we have to talk about this. So my junior year, I went to boarding school and I studied in Barcelona my junior year. And my friends and I, we took the train down to, to Granada. Oh my gosh. I, just... I, love, I love Barcelona. I really do. And I, I love Barcelona. I really do. Yeah, I, it was gonna be my, my, it was my third choice of places to live. If I came to Italy and it didn't oh. suit me, I was like, I'm gonna move then Barcelona will be next because oh. it's such a cool, city and it's so inclusive and yes yeah the food is amazing yes oh my gosh the tapas and it's so peaceful i am i've never been to italy but i imagine it's similar where no one's in a rush to make money no one's in a rush to have a career they're just enjoying their friends and their family yeah it's very much like that it's very much like that so yes we did that um i was in london um, I was in London in just actually I ended up in London December thirty first. Oh, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Well, yeah, twenty twenty one because we had the the flight from Florence to Spain was delayed because of fog in Florence, and so I missed the connecting flight. Ended up staying at the airport December thirty first. Oh. <laughs> um, it was fine. It was fine. I actually. Um, was traveling with some people that were helping me with the kids and they went into the city because they, they did the fireworks in London. And we stayed in the hotel and they had fireworks and we had this room that was on the runway and it ended up being really fine. But, you know, yeah. You know, it's that kind of stuff, you know, filling out a lot of forms and stuff. You know, you miss yeah. a flight and you got to kind of start all over. And, um, and then I went to Berlin in February. Of 2022? 2022. I was in Berlin for the the um, Berlinale. It's like the film festival. Oh, how nice. Uh, and I just went there for the weekend. And that was awesome. Um, yeah. I think, oh. that, I think that's everywhere. I think that's everywhere that I've been. Did and in the States. pandemic? Because I know you've traveled to how many countries before the pandemic? I, I think I'm at like, I think I'm now I'm at like 58. Wow. I've, kind of, I've kind of lost count now. It's, it's, it's like over 50. It's kind of like, ah, here's another one, you know? But my kids have been to, they're nine. One of them has been to 12 countries and one of them has been to 11. Wow. Um, because one of them went with me to Portugal, to Lisbon, and the other one didn't want to go. And so he stayed behind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's nice now because I started traveling with them when they were young. Mm-hmm. And now they is you know it's they're very used to it, I you know, and they don't have to have something entertaining them. Or we get on a plane and there's no movies. They can read a book, or you know, usually airlines are now giving out crayons and things like that for kids. And yeah, wow. And your boys are they identical or fraternal twins? Fraternal. Fraternal. I don't know if I told you. I have a fraternal twin sister. So I don't think I knew that. I don't know. It's because then you mentioned that the boys are in different classes. So my mom said that when we were children, we were in Montessori and they had us in separate classes. But apparently we cried the whole first week of school that they put us together. But you're right. There's a policy of separating twins. But Yeah, and it's a it's a U.S. policy and it doesn't I don't know. I don't find that it makes any sense personally. Because they'll say, I mean, with my kids in the school they were in in New York, say, oh, to balance, we need to balance. And it's like, yeah, okay, but what, why don't we, you have twin girls in that other class, like, why don't we, ba- <laughs> it's, like, it's very arbitrary. Like, I could never get a reason as to why it was happening. It's like, oh, this is what we do. It's like, okay, but why? Right. Why are you doing that? 
that's what they told my parents like but they got tired of crying yeah wow so yeah so in waldorf school they don't separate them okay this early they will at a certain point but they recognize the bond right and so they don't just arbitrarily like it's just gonna break them apart like <laughs> why they were like oh is there anything else that you want to share about living during the pandemic um well yeah i want to share you know what i what i sort of always say about going new places and this is just my experience from all the places that i've been is that people are often not their governments right so it's really important to keep that in mind when you're traveling and certainly now you know it's like it's so easy i think for people to assume because they get this bit of information about a society or about the, the leader of a society that that's how the people are mm. and really truth told it's like no like more so than not people don't necessarily even believe or are abiding by what their government is doing or saying or you know they they can disagree also mm -hmm. with it you know and, and and certainly i mean this is the case for a lot of black americans like the government like does is it really represent is it really a good representation of like what i value what i believe or what i care about so often not you know, and so um, that would be the one thing I would say, you know, like there's a lot of fear reporting and mm. there's a lot of reporting that I, I feel is a, is sort of to divide and keep people kind of corralled and, and not, you know, rebelling. Right. <laughs> you know, you can't really, you know, nobody really wants like a whole society is having anarchy, right? But um yeah, you just have to take take people in situations at face value. And um, the other thing I want to say that about traveling is that it's very, me, like being a Black American, there's so much of it on a day-to-day -day basis that it's traumatic, mm. right? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, just dealing with like the microaggression and, you know, the supremacy and the, the systemic racism and these things that are part of the fiber of that of American culture, I think. And so it's very easy when you go to someplace else and you have an experience to go to that place. Like, oh, they're being racist. You know, like, oh, they're being racist. And I think that in all the places I've been, you know, that, that that's not necessarily the best term for it. Mm. You know, I think that maybe, you know, they're being prejudiced or, there being, you know, other things, but it's different than, it's, it's, it's always different than the racism I think you experience in the United States. Right. In some respects, because I feel like Americans are so almost like trained to be racist. Mm. And when you go to a country where they don't have, but, you know, 15 people of color or, <laughs> You know what I mean, like they're not like gearing up any one thing to be against this very, very small group of people. Mm. They might not have the experience of those people, and so they have prejudice or ignorance or whatever. But they're not—they're not necessarily crafting their whole society to keep those people, fifteen people, twenty people, hundred people in their place. You know, it's—it's it's not. They're not threatened in the same way. I think. Um, a lot of Americans that are not of color are threatened. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would say that. Thank mm. you for bringing that Welcome. up. Yeah. I, when I lived in Barcelona, I felt very safe. Like mm -hmm. they warned us against pickpockets. You know, like that was like the big danger. Watch out for the pickpockets, which is really coming from New York. That's like, it sounds great. Like, sure, I will watch right. out for the pickpockets. <laughs> That it? Like no, that right. Right, like no physical assault or any sort of terrible uh, injuries against us. And I remember also living in Spain, how peaceful it was. And just being a black person, at no point did I feel like an outsider. And they were just like, oh, Americana. Like I wasn't even black, I was Americana. 
and that has stuck with me like so in america i'm not american i'm black american but in the rest of the world i'm americana so it's it's interesting when you said that like outside of america we don't at least when i was in spain i don't recall any microaggressions but i think i would have remembered so yeah well i mean i think too the other thing that naturally i think for everyone when you're on vacation and you're someplace new you relax right right? but then i also think on top of that when you're living in a country where you feel like you're always having to run defense and and question what people are doing and deal with you know supremacy and fragility and all these things that are part of american culture Mm -hmm. when you get to a certain place and you don't have that then there's an extra kind of like letting down of your shoulders yeah you know it's like because i, I just feel like you just be like this in america yes yes what what next you know, Absolutely. You know coming. yeah and then when you get someplace else you're like oh my vacation oh people are really nice oh huh. you know before you know you're like oh, <laughs> where you let your hair down you just relax you know and i think that you know i was talking to a friend of mine who's actually from paris the other day and he's he's Caucasian from Paris and he was saying that yeah but that's because you're American and there's a lot of racism against Africans Um, right which I don't doubt at all right it's just like but because I know from my all my travels it's like that is Americana like people do know that when they see me I'm not African right Right. like they they come to certain conclusions maybe it's where I'm dressed or the the complexion or the way I have my hair or whatever like this is not an African and Africans are everywhere just like just like Asian people are everywhere um and so there's a, a different level of treatment you know because you know via government practices and stuff you know a lot of Africans have been displaced right and so then they they come to where you are and they're not given opportunities and you're not taking advantage of the skills that they have. And so all of a sudden they become these people that are just selling, you know, knockoffs and, you know, lighters and, you know, little napkins and, you know, this stuff that they get. And this guy could be, you know, could have been a doctor yeah. in Africa. And now he's reduced to being a food delivery guy. Yeah. Because you don't see him and you're not like really having a conversation with him about who he is and what he what he brings to society, where he's from or what he could bring to this society. Thanks for saying that. I just started watching this show on Netflix called Young, Famous and African. Mm-hmm. And they're they are very aware of how the world perceives African people and they're all from different countries. And they drive like Lamborghinis and Porsches, they go shopping all the time. They're like, this is our Africa. And so the way that the world perceives Africans, it's like, it's like you said, it's we don't know who they are. We don't know what their education is. We just see how they are as immigrants and how countries don't accept their educational degrees and how they're surviving. So yeah. yeah, and Africa is a very rich country. Yeah, you know, one of the richest countries, yeah. and because that's taught sort of wide, far and large, then people, you know, just you know, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, whether it's you know some foundation is like showing you, always showing you pictures of little kids with flies flying all around them, and everything's like, yeah, that, that that might be like that particular place, but Africa is huge. Right. You know, I teach my children that, I've, you know, it's like. They're always, you know, we talk about wealth and I'm like, yeah, Africa is the wealthiest country in the world. Yeah. You have like just culturally the the land is, is just ripe with <laughs> gold, diamonds, you know, like and and I think that a lot of it is just because they don't want you to go there. Right. You know, because if you go there, like when I went to Ghana, I was like, this is so amazing <laughs> being in a place where there's no advertising of, with like with whiteness as the standard of beauty and you know things are just about being brown and it's beautiful and it was I had the best time in Ghana I, I just I loved it and I've been to Ghana Ethiopia Tangier Mo- Mozambique um, and Johannesburg. 
So I'm not just a one, you know, I haven't just been to one African country. I still have a lot of places to go within Africa, but I, but I've seen some variation. Wow. I still haven't gone. I recently heard, and I think it was a New York Times podcast about the Democratic Republic of, of Congo and how cobalt is really rich there. And people just go around mining cobalt and selling it because countries need it. I think they need it for like electric cars and cell phones. But you're right, there's so much rich resources. And I think we are discouraged, particularly in America, to go to the continent of Africa. Yeah, and the, and the price, you know, lots of things discourage too. The price, pricing discourages, having to get visas, you know, I mean, again, but it's similar to the pandemic, you know, like just being discouraged. And I also think, I have to say this, mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it's really important during this time, I don't know how long this pandemic is gonna go, but to sort of be very, put a very keen eye on uh, what's open, what's closed, because that's a way, you know, money shifts, right? It's like all of a sudden the reporting is, oh, don't go to, you know, don't go to Colombia. You know, it's like then then Colombia suffers. Right. Right. And go to this place, right? You just have to question what's going on behind the scenes of these sorts of decisions where some places are open, some places are not. The reporting is really slanted as it was with Colombia. Like, oh, you know, their hospitals are overrun. It's like, and it's only if you go to Colombia where you're like, yeah, there's only one hospital. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's overrun. You know, and it's, it's similar reporting to like single moms, like, oh, being a black single mother, like we're like taxing the welfare system. It's like, no, we're not. Like, there's not, not even enough of us. <laughs> to do that, right? But it's only if you ask questions, you question it, can you, I think, barrel down to some other things that might be happening. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I look forward to visiting you. I don't know when, but I've never been to Italy, so I'd love to visit you. Come, come, come over, you will love it. It is great. I will send you some pictures. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Pictures. I have videos. Oh, I would uh, love that. Yeah, it's oh. it's it's. I mean, I still find it dreamy. I'm in Florence. Florence is a very small place, really. There's only four hundred thousand residents, and then like I don't know, fifteen million tourists or something come here every year. It's a lot of tourists, but in terms of the population, it's it's quite small, and um, yeah, it's very intimate. Wow. Thank yeah. you. I so appreciate your time. I don't know if it's like bedtime for the boys. But... Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm six hours ahead of you now. So it's oh, 320. Okay. Yeah. Six yeah. Hours. You want me to, ask, want me to a- a- answer five? Let's see. Yes. Yeah, if, if you feel comfortable, okay. is there anyone yeah. you know? Yeah, I did lose people during, um, during this time. And I will say that you know, the majority of people that I lost was to suicides. Yeah, not not COVID. Yeah, though, I think, you know, it's all related, right? Like, because people, I think, just being isolated and um, needing to be around people um, was very, it took its toll, you know, on a lot of people, you know, people that I knew who were extroverts who all of a sudden now not having contact with people. Um, Yeah, so I would say I had four, that that would be the majority of people that I I lost was to people taking their own lives. So, yeah, and I don't think that gets talked about enough, (laughs) but you know. Yeah, now I only, spoke to one friend she said she had um, a friend a black man who committed suicide in 2020 um, yeah yeah so I mean being around people I think this is so important no matter what you know and I and I know people had to make a lot of really tough decisions to be around people that were sick or that were in hospice or you know but I just feel like that lack of human connection, just really took its toll on a lot of people and 
maybe doesn't get reported about in the same way as someone dying from the virus. No, it's it's not. I know, I remember people talked a lot about suicide prevention and mental health, but they didn't talk about the reason why people were committing suicide, like the isolation mm-hmm. and yeah. the unemployment, the lack of income, the anxiety of catching this virus. Yeah, and the stress. No, I mean, that was, I know for me when I was in the beginning and I was doing this, the homeschooling and everything, and, you know, I knew for other families that they, they wouldn't allow their kid to go outside. And, and I was very clear that if we don't go outside, if I confine us to this tiny apartment, we're going to have other problems that mm-hmm. are going to be way more pressing, you know? And, and I think that that's why, you know, domestic violence was on the rise and, you know, it's like, it's just not natural to not breathe fresh air. And, and thankfully we were in a place where we could go to Central Park, you know, we could walk and, you know, but, you know, like I just, for me, like someone I've also struggled with mental health issues. It's like, I can't be indoors for any amount of time. So whatever, whatever it has to be, you know, if it's got to be me going for a run at, you know, 11 o'clock at night or in the wee hours of the morning or just going to Central Park. And, you know, I need, I need that. Otherwise it's the, the stress would have taken its toll, you know, and I was fortunate to be someone who didn't suffer the loss of income. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was obviously able to, at a certain point, decide that I was going to leave the country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I remember I watched the video about moving to Italy with your friend. Oh, um, yes. Kylie. Kylie. Yeah. And you spoke about seasonal. Um, affective disorder. Affective disorder when you moved to, yes. you in Copenhagen? I was living in the Netherlands then. Yeah. 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 It was, and it was really bad. I mean, it's just not depression. Really right. more like a walking coma. <laughs> like, I can laugh about it now, but I was just, it was really bad. And I was doing everything I could, you know, to get, a, um, get ahead of it. You know, a light that emulated the sunrise and acupuncture and vitamin D and everything. And it was really difficult to, to beat. And I just did whatever could and I lost a lot of weight I, I was like I, I mean I lost like 20 pounds in a matter of like three weeks or something four weeks I was like so skinny I was like literally under 100 pounds oh my god yeah because I was biking my kids to school you know the way you do in the Netherlands and I was you know doing so I was doing a lot of physical exercise and then I also wasn't sleeping I wasn't eating it's just it's horrible it's horrible and the lack of sun you know was the whole thing and that was Thankfully, I mean, that was pre-pandemic by many years. That was 2017, 2018. And now I'm very happy for that experience, I'll say, because, you know, it was a stepping stone to this one. Now when I go through things here and I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, but it'll work out. Just go through the steps, you know, or it rains here sometimes and we have to bike to school in the rain and we're all like, huh, this is nothing. It's like a drizzle. (laughs) This is all you got? This is like, uh, you know, whereas in the Netherlands, it was like torrential downpour, hail, you know, like, like you know, biking, like, oh my God, we're gonna die. <laughs> it's like in here, you're like, ah, this is it. <laughs> so I'm very grateful for the experience in the Netherlands. Like it really taught me a lot and it made doing it a second time a lot easier I would say you know like just that you know I don't make mountains out of molehills it's like oh I just got an Italian bank account a couple weeks ago it's like you know what I need to get an Italian bank account but it can wait right you know I mean like I I don't have to go through the process when I'm going through other processes that are more time sensitive I can just yeah yeah I'll pay five dollars every time I take out money ATM but I'll just take out the maximum that I can and use it wisely and you know, and then I'll open up the account when I get to it. Yeah. You know? Stuff like that. It's just, it really, I mean, I could write a book. I'm actually considering oh. writing a book on relocating yes. because it's just, I've done it now twice and I've done it with children and small children by myself. And I feel like I'm kind of an expert. <laughs> yes. 
please write that book. I, I would love to read it. I'm an avid reader and I love hearing about women who travel and you have twin boys. Yes, write the book. I, I'm, I'm gonna get to it. It's on the list. <laughs> on the list. Yeah, as soon as I relocate, I'll have a lot more time and space and yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Olivia. Thank You're you welcome. so much. Thank you for doing this. It's awesome. Uh, it's my passion project. Like it's keeping me grounded because you know, it's, I mean, it's still stressful here. Like in, well, New York City, I'm working in New York City, teaching in person, like wearing a mask. I got Omicron um, in the January, early February. I'm just, this is just giving me a lot of hope. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, yeah, keep at it. You know, it's gonna pass. Yeah. I think the world will be forever changed in some respects, but it's gonna pass, you know, we're, we're adaptable. Absolutely. Human. So yeah, yeah, this is great. It's a great passion project. Oh, <laughs> you could just be like shopping. Like I'm just gonna build my wardrobe on oh. Amazon. That's my passion project. Yeah, <laughs> passion project. It's awesome. It's really great. And it's allowing people to connect with you too and you to connect with people. And that's really important. Right. Cause you and I, we met, we didn't talk about it, but we met at the Hotel Gansevoort. It's so fancy. I know. I know. How long ago? It was Dude. either 2011 or 2012. Um, Did I have the kids? No, because I was working in Princeton, New Jersey at the time, and I drove into the city to meatpacking. Okay. And we were both okay. like two single black women. We're like, hey, yeah. hi. And we just started talking really. Like, independent yeah it's a lot easier to date over here too I'll say that I yeah. have to visit you I'm gonna look at my calendar and just like strategically plan sometime later in the year pick some dates yeah pick some dates really I, I swear pick some dates the summer is great you know I'm gonna do a lot of traveling the summer go to different parts of Italy you travel by train here it's very very simple you know, I go to Venice in May. It's probably third or fourth time, but it's like a three, two and a half hour train ride to Venice. <laughs> Thanks, Olivia. Well, have a good Sunday in Italy. <laughs> you too. Have a good Sunday. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. My name is Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is my oral history project, Black America and COVID. Thank you.